0: That chorus, do you know it by heart? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be and Amen. All God's people said. Amen. If you have little ones through grade four and you'd like them to be in junior church, thank you, Amy, for playing. in junior church, please have them be dismissed at this time. The teachers will meet them in the foyer and you can pick them up when we're all done. Just a reminder, we do have a, a very brief business meeting right after this service. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but I think I've proven over nine years that we can do a short business meeting. So we will. All right. The rest of you, 2 Corinthians chapter one. And I will admit to you today, um, as I was praying earlier, as I was talking to Daniel even before that, that I feel insufficient to the task this morning, even more than normal. And so I'd like to pray before we start our time in the Word that we might come away with what the Lord would have us to know. Lord, we thank you today for opportunity to open your Word. We recognize that you have magnified it equal to your own name. That those that teach it are to be held to a stricter accountability, and, and we are to make sure that we rightly divide it. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, we'll do that, that we'll understand these difficulties Paul's dealing with, the normal nonsense that goes on in the church you established among people who are not spirit-controlled, and yet Paul, in spirit-controlled manner, reveals his own heart and lets us understand uh, something of his compassion for the church and his consistency in dealing with them and lord i pray that these things will be clear or whatever you would have be clear be clear from your word and i pray this in the name of your son jesus and all god's people said amen i hope that you've had time in the word this week alex mentioned it uh, today before uh, his time uh, in prayer and of course it's my encouragement always for you to be daily in the word to let the holy spirit be developing in you Uh, That sanctification process that he desires through the understanding of the word what it means uh, By what it says and how that applies to you and that you'll spend some take your trifold that we supply for you or some uh, Reading calendar that you may have on your tablet or your phone and be in the word every day Let the word shape you mold you bring you into subjection. It's not possible I don't think it's possible in today's culture or in any culture that's preceded ours uh, that uh, it is able to, you're able to live in a spirit-controlled manner with wisdom and knowledge from the Word without being in it. So let me encourage you to do that, not just randomly reading it, opening the Bible to some random place where after 35 years you still won't know a whole lot more about your Bible than you do now, but instead systematically reading through it, Old Testament, New Testament, every day, day after day, year after year, that you might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and God and His plan for the world. Winston Churchill exemplified integrity and respect in the face of criticism and insult and accusation. But during his last year in office, he attended an official ceremony. Several rows behind him as he walked up to the podium, uh, two gentlemen began whispering, that's Winston Churchill. They say he's getting senile. They say he should step aside and leave the running of the nation to more dynamic and capable men. When the ceremony was over, Churchill turned to the men and said, gentlemen, they also say he's deaf. (laughs) In a more revealing revelation, however, you may know this already, he had the following words of Abe Lincoln framed on the wall of his office. They said, quote, I do the very best I can. I mean to keep going. If the end brings me out all right, then what is said against me won't matter. If I'm wrong... Ten angels swearing I was right won't make any difference, end quote. And so he understood the balance of what it meant to lead and what it meant, of course, to receive criticism. And I think that Paul gives us a great illustration here all the way through this section about what it means to lead, what it means to react to negativity inside the church. And we can see a really great example of that, and we'll see it all the way through Second Corinthians, but... Certainly in 15, verses 15 through 24 of chapter 1. This is really our second, uh, our look into this second section of Paul's letter. It deals with, among other things, criticism and accusation and how Paul's going to deal with it. So let's read it together as, as our habit. Allow the Holy Spirit to go to work in our own hearts as we read his word. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. Verse 16, that is to pass your way into Macedonia, and again from Macedonia, to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Verse 17, Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose to do, do I purpose according to the flesh so that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Verse 18, But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no, Verse 19 For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me, and Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but it is yes in him. Verse 20 For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes, therefore also through him is our Amen to the glory of God through us. Verse 21. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also seals us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Verse 23, but I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth. 24, not that we lord it over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. Let's stop right there. As we started to see last week, Paul is dealing with criticism, he's dealing with accusation, and in the big picture, as we saw right at the beginning of this section, Paul is confident because he has the assurance of a clear conscience, that's his first stand. He says it boldly, I boast in a clear conscience, regardless of whatever, so whatever we're gonna see after that, we can go back to that first understanding from Paul, which is my conscience is clear before you. And we took a lot of time to go through what a clear conscience is last time and what a fully informed conscience looks like last time, so we won't do that again. But in, in general, as we look at verse 15 then in our, in our passage today, Paul says, in this confidence, in what confidence? Well, in the confidence of his conscience. So he is addressing criticism, he's addressing accusation, in particular here, Paul isn't sincere, Paul uh, can't be relied on, Paul isn't trustworthy, and although his confidence in the testimony of his conscience isn't shaken by their accusations, so in other words, he's not questioning himself back again, and saying, well, maybe this is how it is, regardless of whether they receive his answer to them or not, he's gonna be fine. But he's also going to give them an answer to their accusations here, and he's gonna do it in a way I think that is very unique. And in doing that, he's gonna show his heart for them, and we'll get to see some characteristic traits of Paul really revealing uh, what he's like really on the inside in his answers. And so here's the problem that he it is creating the criticism. Look at verse 15, if you would. In this confidence I intended to first come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing, that is to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. So you can see what he's thinking about. He's going uh, through Corinth to Macedonia. We're going to look in, in First and Second Thessalonians at some point in the future. So he's going to go there. Then he's going to come back and go through Corinth again. And he's going to have them help him on his way to Judea. And so uh, he's going to pass on from them on to carry an offering. And we know all about that as we've talked about it. And we're going to talk about it more in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And this appears to be the issue. So Paul just comes right out and just says what the issue is. So you can see he promised to come to them twice. He didn't come. And and it's from this observation on their part that the destruction of his character has sprung. And this is not unusual uh, inside the New Testament church. It's a pretty big deal even though it doesn't seem like it should be a big deal. So Paul knows that. Those that want to discredit him. Uh, are looking at this supposed waffling and they extrapolate, hey, you know, Paul is not to be trusted. And, and what happens here in Paul's answer is that he deals with his character first. So he doesn't come back and say why he didn't come, which would be our first response, right? Well, hey, well, here's the reason why I didn't come. We're, we're quick to defend ourselves. Um, with just saying okay here 's the reason, and it 's a, a viable reason paul doesn 't go there first he 's going to deal with his character first because this is what they 're questioning. So uh, remember, he has a confidence in his conscience he 's not worried that somehow his conscience is now conflicting with his thoughts. He has confidence, a boast, verse 12, and confidence in this confidence, verse 15. So he's going to deal with their accusations in a minute, but he's going to start with a defense of his clear conscience, which will take in his attitude. So look there at the next passage. It says, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. So uh, he exposes his heart to them. You know, to give his defense, you know, when he does this, uh, you know, we get to see characteristics of a godly leader. And that, I think, is what we can pull out. We look at the passage and we say, okay, you know, what can I get out of this? Just seems like a bunch of petty stuff going on in the church. And how can I possibly come away with something that is, um, that is worthwhile and something that the Lord would have us to know? Well, that's, that's my world. So as I look at the passage, and it should be yours as well, as you study the Word of God. So this just seems like, wow, very confusing or just not that important. And so how can I, if every word is established and every word is worth uh, looking at, so how do I go from there to come away with something that I can say, okay, I I can put these principles to work in my own life and start to see them bearing fruit in such a way that it resembles the godly character of Paul, of course, which resembled the godly character of Christ. So, the first thing we saw was that Paul, uh, Paul, his his first characteristic is Paul is uh, modeling devotion to the church. So, the underlying point really is this, and you can just kind of read this in between the lines. As Paul is saying this, you do realize that the only reason I ever made a plan to come to you in the first place was because I was devoted to you, okay? I realized that plans change and I didn't get to come and I realized that's created this hardship, uh, at least supposed hardship on your part. I realized that you have uh, created this whole, extrapolated out of this, that I'm not reliable and I waffle, but the fact of the matter is the only reason I was gonna come in the first place was because I was concerned about your welfare. So his conscience is clear in that desire to come to them that was motivated by his love for them. In his heart, there's a relationship there, and we saw this at the end of the previous passage. He really longs for them to appreciate him as he does them, and he's very confident in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, when Christ comes, that they will appreciate him. They'll understand what has happened uh, in his own life in order for them to grow. The fact of the matter, that's not there. Paul desires for it to be there. There's a relationship, there's there's trust, there's love, there's a commitment to their well-being. Now, remember Paul finishes 1 Corinthians 16, 24, and he says, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Now, after everything that we looked at in the first 16 chapters of that letter, that seems like a strange thing to sign off with. He would say, hey, try to do what I asked you to do, I'll catch you later, or something like that. But instead, Paul says, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus, amen, in spite of all the difficulty that they had caused and had created inside their community and inside the testimony in Corinth and all the things they had said about him and how they had accused him, he wanted them to know that he cared. And so it's always in this underlying, uh, just below the surface, Paul, in all Paul's actions, there's this motivation that he because he loves them. And so I'm coming to you, he says. I love you and I wanted to come to you so that you might twice, he says, receive a blessing. And that word blessing, uh, charis, Uh, that noun, the best definition of the word God's merciful kindness, we get our word grace from that. That turns non-believers into uh, Christ. We know the last time you never look more like the Lord than when you do two things. We looked at this a number of years ago. The number one thing is you never look more like the Lord than when you forgive people, okay? And number two, you never look look more like the Lord than when you give charis, when you give blessing, when you give grace to someone, particularly merciful kindness to those who don't reciprocate it back. You never look more like the Lord than when you do that. And so that's what Paul is doing, giving joy, giving sweetness, giving loving kindness, you know, used by God to increase faith, to increase knowledge, to increase affection, encourage discipleship. And that's what Paul wanted to do. See, he wanted to come to them and give some gifts, some blessings, because he loves, and love gives. He planned to do it two times. For some, he wanted to show forgiveness. Probably for others, he wanted to show them the loving kindness of following God and what that looks like. Maybe he wanted to uh, increase their faith, acknowledge, and affection. He wanted them firmly established, for sure. We see that over and over again in Paul's mind. He, he wants the church fully fixed in place, and he says that over and over in his letters. It really indicates Paul's heart of devotion to the ministry. And we noted last time that really that's where the richness is in ministry, is giving yourself away. If you're measuring their response back all the time, that really isn't giving in the way that Paul has intended for that to be done as he models what Christ has done for us. So, it's a heart that wants to... To give something that really has some substance to it. And that's Paul's heart. He, he, whatever he could do for them, he wanted to do. And obviously he wanted to go by there twice. So he wanted to be there with them two different times. On the way to Macedonia, on the way back from Macedonia. So double blessing. I, to, I want to pass on a blessing to you. That you Twice receive a blessing. So his conscience is clear. The ministry is about giving yourself away. He wanted the church established. He wanted to be encouraged, equipped, strengthened. More apt to pursue spiritual growth. That's Paul's heart. And so... Paul starts there with his character. Verse 17, now look there. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, so that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Now, as you read that, I think that you can pull out, that's probably what was being said. That's the essence of the conversation that's going on in Corinth. So he's saying yes and yes and no and no at the same time. He he speaks out of two sides of his mouth. And that's the question of his trustworthiness. Can he be relied on? And that's what's circulating about Paul. So Paul asks this question. You don't think I was changing my plans in an offhand manner, do you? You know, on top of that, he says, you know, do you really think I make my plans like a worldly man, ready to say yes and no at once at the same breath? See, that would... That I would change my answer from yes to no without a second thought if it pleased me. Is that how you evaluate me? And and the way we see the sentence constructed, it, it expects a negative answer. It's a rhetorical question that expects no as the answer. That isn't how Paul is. And here we see a second trait of a godly minister. We see consistency. Consistency. Look at verse 18. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. So here's what he says. God's my witness. As sure as God is faithful in all his ways, Paul says, I've been faithfully consistent in my dealings with you. That's a big, that, that bites off a pretty big a pretty big mouthful, doesn't it? But as God is faithful, I'm faithful? I mean, that's just as bold as saying my boast is, my conscience is clear. The highest human court has cleared me from any wrongdoing as it relates to the ministry that I, I discharge with you. We see Paul use the same comment about the Lord's faithfulness in specific areas. Let's see how big this faithfulness he's relying on is. And this is one of my favorite uh, studies in the Word of God is the faithfulness of God. So I'm going to give you just a few of these. But 1 Corinthians 1, 7, let Let's comment on them brief, briefly. Uh, as Paul was writing to the church in, this, uh, in 1 Corinthians, he says, so that you're not lacking in any gift, as he talks about the, who they are uh, and, 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 and their position, he says, you're not lacking any gift, waiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now mark this, God is faithful, whom you were called into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the church is waiting on Jesus. Uh, He's going to authorize your blamelessness at the judgment. And God is the one who called you into that relationship with Jesus. And he always does what he says. God's faithful. Paul says, as God's faithful, our words to you were not yes and no. 1 Corinthians uh, 10.13. Remember this? No temptation has overtaken you but such is common to man, and God is, mark this, faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. So here's the deal. God knows that you, uh, what you are tempted to do is shared among all people, uh, and because he's aware of that and he knows you, he also knows what you can take and because he knows the threshold there, he also provides a way of escape from temptation for everyone. And he's been doing this for all who love him. And he'll continue to do it. And so you can trust him because he's faithful like that. See. Paul says God's faithful. How faithful is God? Well, he's, he's faithful to do what he says he's going to do and complete the work that he says he, was gonna, that he started. He's faithful to give you a break from temptation. And he knows how to deliver you from it. First Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mark this, faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. See, so again, the one who called you into a relationship with Jesus is working on this sanctification process your whole life long. And because he was powerful and sovereign enough to start the process in you, there's no doubt about the end result. See, he's faithful to accomplish all his purposes. And I know you get this, but just because I like talking about the faithfulness of God, and Paul calls on it, so it gives us a chance to kind of remind ourselves of how faithful God is in in some of these areas. Uh, Just this last one for now, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. Finally, brethren... Pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. Catch this, but the Lord is what? Faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. So, just as the Lord was powerful enough to overcome the grave and the plans of Satan and his demons and wicked men and through that proclaim the gospel of salvation through the lives of the apostles just like he was faithful to do that, he will be faithful to allow you to overcome and be strengthened to live godly lives and proclaim the gospel. So he establishes this as a pattern, and he's faithful to his own purposes and pattern, as they include you and me. So God's faithful. And Paul says, as God is faithful, but as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. God's my witness, Paul says. As sure as God is faithful in all his ways and in all his plans, making his decisions based on his perfect will, Paul says, I have been faithfully consistent in my dealings with you, walking in the control of the Holy Spirit and not making decisions according to the flesh. So I didn't just waffle back and forth say, well, maybe I'll go, nah, I don't think I'm going to go. Uh, nah, not like that. That's not good for me right now. Okay? It had nothing to do with that. Paul wants to make it clear. It, it's really divorced of his own just whim like some un- unpredictable person in the world that would just say yes or no, and you can't rely on them. Like uh, you know, like when you call for service at your house, and they say somebody, somebody between twelve and six. I'm always like twelve and six. That's the closest you could come to being dependable. Six-hour window. It's not like that, okay? But God is my f- God is faithful. Our uh, words to you? Not yes and no. God's not fickle. See. He's not changing in his purposes. And Paul says, I'm not fickle and I'm change- not changing in my purposes. I think we could look at the, at this way too. You know, the idea of the faithfulness of God is the argument which Paul uses and why he felt himself bound to be faithful too. So I think it could be both. As God is faithful, this is how I've made my decisions. But also, because God is faithful, I need to be faithful. And I think that, that nuance is important to point out. It could be that as well. Or you know, the faithful God, you know, he regarded as a witness And so he appealed to that witness as the occasion required. And that's a pretty high appeal. That's a pretty serious appeal, isn't it? Right up to the very highest court. Look, I'm appealing to the Lord. My conscience is clear, but he's my witness too. Okay? So I think all of those could be the way Paul is perhaps saying it. As God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. Now this this accusation of Paul's fickleness and his waffling and his uh, his undependability seems to be the most serious one he's dealing with. And so he calls on God as his witness to his conscience, and he also recalls to their mind his previous dealings with them as a witness to his conscience. Look at verse 19, okay? So 19, he moves on. He just stays right here, this consistency in the way that he deals with them, and he says this, For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me, and Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes in him. So he's going to call back to their mind not only God's faithfulness, and how he desires to you know, line up with God's faithfulness. And God's faithfulness, as God has made decisions based on his perfect will, Paul has desired to do that too. Not just that, he says, remember, okay, listen, recall the ministry of teaching among you that we had. We didn't waffle back and forth. We didn't equivocate when we gave you the message, right? I was with you for 18 months. Timothy has been there. Sylvanus has been there. And for all that time and from all, all those three guys, see, so he, he limits it to the ones he knows, okay, because people have come into the church since that time. We've looked at that and given them false doctors. He's not saying all oh, those guys are saying it too. He said these three guys for sure, when you heard us, we didn't waffle back and forth. When we gave you this, you heard it, you believed, and it transformed your lives. And doesn't that say something about the instrument? I think that's the essence. For The Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes in him. And just as a footnote, perhaps, Paul's point is this, that men who are thorough in the teaching of Scripture can be trusted in the lesser things as much as anybody can. I think that's the essence. You know, we were thorough in teaching to you. You know, I think that when a man's serious about divine truth, really cutting it straight, it, that may reflect well on the rest of his life. And I think that is illustrated very well in, in numerous parts of Scripture about the main purpose of those who, who uh, lead as elders. First Thessalonians 5.12 says this, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you. So here's Paul. You know, all over the place he has to remind them of the same thing. What is the purpose of the elder, and, and what is he supposed to do? And if he's doing that well, remember, as we looked at First, first Corinthians, remember Paul's conscience was clear. Why? Because he was an under rower and a servant, and he did it faithfully. See, he took whatever was in the kitchen, and he brought it to the table, and he didn't mess it up. And he did that over and over and over again. That was, Paul says that's the job. And so in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, uh, as he kind of illustrates what we just saw in verse 19 of, of, first, of 2 Corinthians 1, He says, listen, remember I preached to you, and Silvanus did, and Timothy did, and it wasn't yes and no. We didn't waffle back and forth in our message, see? So 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, Paul says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. So appreciate that, verse 13, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Three things elders do right there quickly. Labor along with you, have charge over you in the Lord, and teach the word to you. And so that, you know, he does that thoroughly, and he does that well, and that reflects well on their character, see? Because Paul says that's the things they're supposed to do. Three responses to those simple things from those who are led by elders. Appreciate them, esteem them highly, live in peace with one another. So very simple instructions. What's the elder supposed to do? What are you supposed to, how's your response? First Timothy 5.17, he again had to tell Timothy, as Timothy ministers to the, 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 uh, uh, the church in Ephesus, he says this, the elders who rule, rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. He tells Timothy to tell the church. This is one of those passages as a pastor that you don't necessarily like to preach, okay, because this seems self-serving in some way, but it's there, and when you get to it, you do it. So Paul tells Timothy, to tell, tell this unruly Ephesus congregation, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So working hard at preaching and teaching reflects well on the elder. So it's the main thing he's supposed to do. Honor from those who benefit is also appropriate, and there are two different kinds of honor discussed in the passage, and we won't deal with that today. But Paul tells Timothy that consistency in the ministry of teaching is a trademark of a faithful elder. So cutting it straight, doing it often. And Second Timothy 4.1, he says here, uh, most serious, in the most serious possible manner. So he says this, Timothy, I solemnly charge you that's with the most weight, with the gravest sincerity that the Greek construction can come up with. I solemnly charge you, this is very important, above all other things that you're going to do, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, not what your congregation thinks about you, not whether or not they appreciate what you do, not whether or not they have expectations of you doing all these other things, I solemnly charge you this, okay, before God and Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. So before the ultimate judge of all who've ever lived, of the one who knows everything in your position that he ordained and he empowered, and he started, what? Verse two, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. So whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it, whether you feel up to the task or you don't feel up to the task, whatever it is, what? Visit the sick. Teach Sunday school. Put an alternator in the van. Clean the sanctuary. All those things may be part of what a minister can do. It may be in his gift set. What's the main thing? Preach the word. Paul calls on this church in Corinth and says, listen, when we were there among you, what did we do? We taught you Christ. Did we waffle? No. No. We didn't. We gave you direct teaching. It was our main job. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. All connected to the teaching of the word, okay? Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Try that sometime. Reproving and rebuking. Try that. And see how that goes, okay? And maybe you do it with your kids and you understand how that goes, don't you? Try it in a little bit bigger group. Try it as one who's been given charge of the church. You understand the difficulty Paul had. It's the same difficulty every single minister has had since Paul's time. See? Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and preach the word. When you do that, you find immediately difficulty. Okay? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but waiting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and turn away from the ears, their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to mess. So Paul's giving a, just a snapshot of what the church is going to look like as it goes down the line. Okay, so as bad as it was then, it's worse now in these respects. So the time's going to come, and has already begun to come, I would say, and has been around for a while. Okay. So this is a sobering truth that this ministry of preaching the word will be judged very strictly. Um, James warns of this as well. He says in James 3.1, let not many of you become teachers, my brother, knowing that as such, we will incur stricter judgment. So, wow. I mean, that's pretty serious, right? I mean, James gives that from the Lord to us. If you are a teacher, that's pretty serious. You're going to have a stricter judgment. But I would say that the seriousness from Paul and James wouldn't be readily apparent with a casual perusing of the teaching and practice that comes from the teaching coming from major denominations in the world today. I would say that they've forgotten that that passage even exists. So it appears to be, I think, consistent with the rest of Paul's writings to understand that when Paul says, For the Son of God, Christ Jesus who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes in him. It would be consistent to say that when a man is consistent with divine truth and really getting it that right, that reflects well or should reflect well on the rest of his life. And perhaps it would be also an appropriate observation to make that when a man is inconsistent with divine truth and not too concerned about getting it right, that reflects poorly on the rest of his life. I think both of those are true. See? So as an application, this is, I think, Paul saying this is the, this is the model. This is what you're going to have to follow. Paul says, I'm consistent in making decisions concerning you, not as the flesh makes them. Uh, Paul says, I'm consistent enough to call on God's faithfulness as an illustration of my disposition towards you. Uh, Paul says, I was consistent in the preaching of the gospel to you, which should reflect better on the other parts of my life than you've thus indicated. And then he says, in case you've forgotten that teaching when I was with you, look at verse 20. And So he just stays right on this. This is the main problem, so Paul takes some time to, in his consistency, kind of point that out. So he says in verse 20, look at your copy of God's word, for as many as are the promises of God, in him they are, yes, therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Seems, seems convoluted. Let's try to make some sense of it. Remember, Paul says, we came to you preaching the gospel of Jesus. He's the fulfillment of all the promises of God. So it wasn't yes and no. We didn't waffle back and forth. We gave you consistent teaching. And by the way, understand, as many as all the promises of God in him, they are yes, therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. The word promise, pangalia, uh, that's the, an official announcement. Paul says, we came to you uh, and I stayed with you 18 months uh, along with giving out the gospel of Jesus. I, I went through the official announcements of God. So I took time to systematically go through um, some very important theology and doctrine that you needed to know. So when I was with you, remember you know, uh, that uh, you know, th- the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among us, uh, among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes and him. I didn't waffle back and forth. Okay, I wasn't inconsistent in my teaching. I gave this to you, and I gave it to you very straight. I gave you all the promises, the official announcements of God of uh, forgiveness and salvation and sacrifice and, and, and sanctification and purpose and fellowship and hope and a kingdom and heaven, and yeah, you can go on and on, blessing and peace and joy and love and goodness and strength and glorification, everything God ever promised, I went through all of those things with you. I covered them. And Timothy did too, and told it, so did Silvanus, Paul says, and we consistently showed you that God's answer to all of those things, all of those promises are yes in Jesus. They're fulfilled in him. I think that's the essence of Paul's statement here. I didn't waffle in my teaching. I was consistent in doing what I was supposed to do. And by the way, in that teaching, I helped you understand that all the promises of God are all yes in Jesus. So I connected all the dots from you, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It all pointed right towards Jesus. It was always my focus. Remember, Paul says, you're, you're calling me inconsistent. You're calling me unreliable. This is what I did when I was among you. Okay? We showed you that God's answer to all those promises are yes in Christ. They're fulfilled in him. No equivocation in him. He's faithful, and you believed us. Remember what you said? You said, amen. Remember what Paul says? Remember, you 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 said, so be it to us. Remember that? That's what Paul says. You glorified God in recognizing his promises through Jesus, and you did that through our teaching. Remember? This is what I did among you. And now you're saying that I'm untrustworthy and I'm unreliable? And say, I think here's the underlying force. You know, Had Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus not traveled to Corinth, all that stuff wouldn't have happened. You get it? I mean, it harkens back to his devotion to them. I mean, if Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy hadn't done all those things and did what they did and established the church, there wouldn't be one. See? So Paul's just bringing it back. Listen, you know, I, I taught consistently among you. I helped you understand the entire of the word of God, all of God's proclamations, all the way through, and I established you in the teaching. Okay? So, and when I did that, you were saying amen while I was there. Re- just reminding you, he says. Through no small amount of hardship, he came to them the first time. And without the messengers, there would have been no message. And without the message, there would have been no faith and no salvation. And, you know, Paul is calling on, remember, Romans 10 12. A marvelous passage we looked at many years ago. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he says this How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it's written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of the good things. So there's no small debt, see, owed to Paul and those who taught with him by the church. No small debt. Okay, and I think that harkens back to the earlier passage we looked at right before we started this section where Paul says, listen, at some point you're going to realize and appreciate me the way I appreciate you. At some point you'll say you love me and you understand the things that I've gone through to make sure you got the gospel, Uh, and someday that will happen, I pray, Paul says, but I know for sure it'll happen when Jesus comes. And so it's just kind of a continuing understanding that, listen, you know, we consistently preached to you and we connected all the dots so you could see the op- official proclamations of God and now you're saying that I'm unreliable and I'm, I, I'm untrustworthy? Remember, I taught that to you and you said yes and you believed and you were sanctified and you grew. So no small amount of debt owed to Paul and those who taught with him. So he wants them to appreciate his heart for them and that desire, he reveals uh, the characteristics of a godly minister. What does it look like? It looks like consistency, okay? It looks like devotion and he models that to them. I wanted to come to you and give you things that would bless you. And so he says, listen, I, I, I was consistent with you. Now look at verses 21 and 22, if you would. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, verse 22, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Now I just love this next, this next part. is just so moving for me. And it, it's this third characteristic of a godly minister, and that's graciousness. Here's the thing. Paul isn't claiming some innate capability of his flesh that allowed him to minister to them, okay, and to be devoted to them, he, uh, to give them something, to rightly divide the word consistently. That wasn't some some unique capability of Paul's own flesh. He says, "You and I have the same source. Okay, you have the same book as I have, and you have the same tutor as I have." Paul says, "And all the things that have happened to me have also been given to you." Colossians two seven illustrates this very well. So I'll just use it. As you've copied that down, probably by now, he says this: Colossians two seven. I have been, I having been firmly rooted. I love that passage. Having been firmly rooted, what's that mean, Paul? Catch this: being built up in Him, and here's our word, established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and in overflowing with gratitude. So the instruction of the gospel came, and became firmly rooted at salvation, and if you're unsure about how that works, First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 and 2 are very clear about how that came, okay, and then Paul says, because that's the truth, that was of primary importance, and so I delivered it to, to you. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures, So, so that helps to illustrate that, but for time, we won't go there. So, Paul says, "Having been firmly rooted. What's that mean, Paul? Being built up in him, here's our word, established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So the instruction of the gospel came and became firmly rooted at salvation, and from a human perspective then, see, it happened through instruction. That's, not, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. It happened through instruction. You were told something. But Paul makes it clear that God is the one who is the establisher. Obviously, through the vehicle of his word and the mouthpiece of human teachers, but God is the one who establishes the gospel in the hearts of men. Okay, the, word, the word is given to us, and it's preached, and all, we saw that process in Romans 10. Okay, so, but the, the fact of the matter, God's the establisher through the vehicle of his word, mouthpiece of human teachers, and then we're going to see four wonderful things that are part of the work of God in the lives of every believer, as Paul indicates his connection with the church. First one, he, as we just said, is the establisher. So, now he who establishes us with you in Christ. So he, that whole, those two words, with you, he establishes us with you we're connected together we've both been established he sets us firmly in christ we are firmly rooted as colossians 2 7 says and and here are two words that help us see that in with you that's the graciousness of paul and paul could say you know if i'm not the real deal you aren't either because we are established together okay there is an equality and a brotherhood with paul it's always that way as he talks we us together, those kinds of things. Paul uses those words to connect himself to the church. We work together. You have the same text I have. You have the same Holy Spirit that I have. All the same things that happened to me happened to you, okay, as as it relates to salvation and equipping. So we've seen that over and over. But not only were they established by God in the same way, he connects them further. He says, and we were anointed. So he says, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us. That's a marvelous thing. Aorist, active participle, verb creo. God is also the anointer. It was done at a time in the past, that's the aorist, with continuing results. A participle just means that it was acting on back on the noun. So God Himself, although he was anointing us, was acting on His own self. The Holy Spirit working through the power of the Lord, giving him direction. The Bible times it was used symbolically for kings and for rulers, priests. Oil was used symbolically, you know, setting them apart and in, and, and, uh, in doing them with wisdom to rule and power to rule. You know, you poured oil over their heads so you're ready, you're consecrated, you're set apart. Here he appeals, uh, I think, appears that he's speaking of one of the jobs the Holy Spirit does. 1 John 2, 27. As for you, uh, John took us through this uh, maybe 10 months ago. As for you, the anointing with which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and it's true, and it's not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. So the idea of this is this. You know, it's wisdom. This anointing is wisdom. It's understanding. So symbolically, in the, in the Old Testament and ancient times, we saw that pouring on of oil, which was symbolic of the wisdom and, and the power that you needed to rule and the understanding. Uh, Paul says, listen, together, okay, we were established and we were anointed, okay? So it has to do with this setting apart by the Holy Spirit and consecrating to understand God's word. I think that's the whole point of John uh, helping us understand what anointing looks like. Paul says not uh, not only were we both established by God at salvation, we were both anointed by God through the Holy Spirit to understand and obey his word. Both of us, Paul says, together. If I'm not the real deal, you're not either. We were both established, we were both anointed. Paul says, then also we were sealed. Paul says, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us as God, who also sealed us. Again, uh, aorist, middle, participle, sfragidzo, God is the sealer. The us is keeping the Corinthian church in that loop. Every believer connected to Paul. And, and this, you know, we'll begin to wrap up today. We're close to the end, but we'll, I want to get through this. The, the middle voice indicated that God himself acted on himself, for himself, and sealed us in himself. It's a really marvelous arrangement as you think about Paul connecting all this together for us. And the aorist indicates it was at a time in the past at salvation with continuing results. So you were sealed at salvation. You were established in salvation. You were anointed by God at salvation. So marvelous things. He says all of us, we share all of this, see, In ancient times, it was used in commercial documents, really found among papyri, sealing of letters, scrolls that nobody can tamper with the contents. That's what it means, sealed, in the ancient times. Here, I think, in the New Testament, to seal means to keep secret or to stamp with a mark of identification. And again, this is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 illustrates that marvelously for us. In him, you also catch it after listening to the message of truth. See, that's the teaching that established you in Christ, see? God's the establisher, but obviously the instruction comes through the word, through the vehicle of the person who's giving the instruction. So in him, Paul says, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And again, very similar language to our passage, but the marvelous work of God through the Holy Spirit is, Paul says, to indicate that no one can tamper with the contents. And Paul says, every true believer has been given this identifying stamp. Everybody. I have it. You have it, Paul. We're connected together. God has endowed us with the Spirit whose presence is the identifying mark of every true believer. Paul says, if I'm not the real deal, you're not the real deal. But if, I'm the, if you're the real deal and this has happened to you, it's also happened to me. We share this. okay? And in the process, he gives them this marvelous theology and doctrine for them to understand really who they are again in Christ. Romans 8 9, another great illustration. However... Uh, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if a woman does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So every believer has the Spirit. Every believer has been sealed. Every believer has been anointed by the Spirit of God. And so marvelous, marvelous thoughts there as we move through this. And so he gave, catch this next one, gave as a pledge. So now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, look verse 22, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Again, connected, everyone's connected by this work of the Holy Spirit. He gave, aristactive participle, God's the giver, and he gave it at a time in the past, in, with, which is salvation, with continuing results. What did he give? A pledge. God gives us a deposit. Again, it's a marvelous work of God through the Holy Spirit, Not only was he given as an anointing, was he given as a sealing, he's also a bond. Paul says, you have it, I have it, we're connected this way. The term in ancient times refers to a deposit that a buyer would place against an item for sale, a earnest money, if you will, uh, to assure a future purpose. Uh, for the believer, the Holy Spirit has been given by God as a guarantee of full glorification and full participation in the blessings of the age to come. So not only have you been established by God, you have been anointed by him through the Holy Spirit. You're also sealed by him, and he, the God gave us the Spirit of, in our hearts as a pledge. So all these three things, uh, including this establishment and salvation, are all parts of things that Paul shares with this church. God gave us a, 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 a deposit. It's a wonderful security. Ephesians chapter, uh, 1, verse 14. Marvelous. Who has given us a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory? Yeah. The Holy Spirit does that. He gives us that pledge. It's a, it's a pledge God does through the Holy Spirit. So, Ephesians 1, 14, I think. There we go. Who is given as a pledge, that's the Holy Spirit, of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. It's a wonderful security we can know. See, the Holy Spirit is earnest money. He's the view, if you will. That's what uh, Paul says to the the church in Ephesus. A view to the redemption. So he's a view before the panorama. Imagine a hike as you work your way up the side of a mountain until you're getting to a peak and you're going to see this beautiful valley. But as you come across or around the mountain, you get just a a little bit of a picture of that view. That's the idea. An- another illustration of what the Holy Spirit is given to do. Give a view of your redemption, your final redemption. He's earnest money. He's a down payment. He's a deposit. He's the glimpse of an amazing landscape before the rest at the top with all the astounding views that are waiting further on, see? And in a while, we'll get to this first, but it's so encouraging now. I want to take a look at just a glimpse of it as we wrap up. Second Corinthians five one, Paul says this. He's going re- to come back and revisit this. So see, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, so when we die, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So you have, an etern- you have a heavenly body. We looked at this before. Verse 2, For indeed, in this house we groan, the one you live in now, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. So there's not going to be a time when you won't have a body ordained by the Lord. So verse four, indeed, while we were in this tent, we grow in being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by this life. Mark this. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the spirit as a pledge. Again, same words. Paul says these things we share together. Again, as he's Talking to the church later, he reminds them, we have both received the Spirit as a pledge. The pledge of what? Well, here in this passage, a pledge that you'll not be unclothed. The Holy Spirit get, get, is given to you so that you know that later you'll be clothed in a heavenly body, that you'll have a body prepared for eternity. You're given, he's given as a deposit. He's given as, as a earnest money. He's the bond. He has established us. Anointed us is God. God's the anointer. He uses the Holy Spirit to do that. Sealed us. God's the sealer, according to this passage. And he uses the Holy Spirit to seal us. And God uh, is uh, given us a pledge in the Holy Spirit so that we know that all these things he's promised is true. So Paul says, listen, marvel at those words. He prepared us for this purpose, to be swallowed up by life. And to prove it, he gave us the Holy Spirit. So Paul has shown graciousness to the church. He identifies with them. He reminds them of what the Lord has done to, for each of them and with, all, with a desire, I think, to, to establish a relationship that's free of accusation and free of insinuation and free of doubt. So Paul's conscience is clear. He has a confidence before the Lord, but he's still willing to establish this fertile ground for ministry by exposing his own heart to them. He says, listen, this is how I feel about you. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And By proving his integrity and his in sincerity in the face of criticism. And to do that, he just shows them his heart. He says, listen, this is how I feel about you. And this, is, this, is, this is the true me. I'm going to get to the reason why I didn't come in a minute. And we're going to look at that next week because it by itself takes up some time. So now that he's tried to remind him of his character, he's going to give them reason for his delay. And Lord willing, we'll transition into those two verses, which really carry us into chapter 2 a little ways in his explanation of why he didn't come when, he, when initially he was going to come. Okay, But it wasn't because he was waffling, it wasn't because he was making decisions according to the flesh and just saying, nah, maybe not. It was because he had a reason. But before he dresses all that, he wants to say, listen, this is who I am, and I want you to know that and understand that the work the Holy Spirit has done in us, that God has, has prepared us and, and done that work through the Holy Spirit, he, uh, we share this, and I want you to know that. Okay, Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer. We have a, uh, some announcements and then a business meeting, so I'd like to get right to that. Lord, we thank you today for an opportunity to uh, to uh, be in your word again as we prayed at the beginning. We just want you to shine through. We want uh, you to be glorified in a way that is appropriate for you and for Christ himself to be magnified, for us to understand his work for Paul uh, as he represented uh, Christ so well in the church. Lord, help us to see those types of trademarks that are, are part of being uh, a minister in whatever capacity you've given us to, uh, to minister. And Father, I pray too that you will continue to open up new ministries for us, opportunities for us to to advance your kingdom, opportunities for us to, to declare who you are and not to shy away from witnessing as we've been reviewing over the last several weeks. Lord, I pray that we'll be about that, salt and light in, in this uh, time, our surjoining here where we're just aliens and strangers. Help us not to be too comfortable here and not too wrapped up in In the trappings of the world and the titles of the world and positions and power but instead living in the world and providing the needs as you have given us uh, availability for our families but really living for a future kingdom one that is way different than the one we see here uh, in the world around us and so we pray that then the things that we see here will be to begin to assemble uh, assimilate to our own lives in a way that's pleasing to you as you would uh, as you would expect us to as we understand what your word says what it means by what it says and then applying it We pray this in the name of your son Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. Quickly, a few announcements before our business meeting.